there's been over a 20 to 1 return. If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Get your first shot, and when you're due for your second, get your second shot. Our key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. And if you look at Israel, mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death. The booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have. The plan is for every, every adult to get a booster shot. Uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, April 26, 2022, part two. Let's jump right into it to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to do everything that I had set aside for those uh, just tuning in. I just did an entire show in regard to Ukraine and a foreign policy focus, and now we jumped over here trying a new kind of style today to just do a more of a COVID focus today, but some other things as well. So let's jump right into it. I'm going to see if I can get this done in a reasonably short period of time. The point of today's show is, is the quiet rollback of the narrative, like behind the scenes as they quietly or rather quickly and loudly, I should say, transition to what they pretend is like the next version of this injection, but really it's an entirely new thing. And you're going to see this essentially admitted in their documentation. It's a new thing with the, it, and this is what the argument we make it from the beginning about whether you're making the right injection for the right thing. As Fauci's admitted, as plenty of doctors have said, if you make it for the wrong, if it produces the wrong antibodies, it's not going, it's going to hurt you, in fact. And now that we're so many things down the line, according to their narrative, 
they'll admit to you in other contexts that that means it's no longer producing what it needs. So we're giving people something that's aimed at an antibody for something that no longer is even in existence right now. And this is what they'll basically tell you if they have to get forced out. The bottom line is that's why they're making the new variant or all-encompassing variant focus injection. But that means that right now, everybody they're forcing this on, it's potentially hurting. And guess what? That's what the data shows, that they're aggressively trying to patch up and do mental gymnastics about. And the VAERS data that we can't tell for sure, even though it's piling and piling and piling and piling, must be all fake news conspiracy theorists because we haven't checked. Sort of like with Ukraine, everything else. Well, how do you know it's that if you haven't checked? Oh, that's a paradox. Not really. <laughs> Seems like they're willfully ignoring what could be there, which I think we know is there because they know what they'll find if they look. Seems like a pretty honest reality. But today we're going to talk about both Moderna and the Pfizer injection, but this is coming from BioNTech, but you know, that's BioNTech and Pfizer that makes that other shot and show you their admissions about what they're telling you these shots are capable or incapable of doing and whether it will stop or hinder your immunity if you get a breakthrough case which don't forget is pretty much most of the people that are injected. And this is what we're seeing it pretty much everywhere. I mean, even just to start off, I had this later in the show, but just to quickly show you again, the last report in the UK before they stopped, they started hiding this from you openly because they claimed this thing's changed and, you know, we can't be sure this, you know, whatever their narrative is, they removed the data, which showed you the risk breakdown. Here is the last report they gave you on March 27th that shows you that people with three shots in their body, no matter how you want to break this up and argue it means this or means that, bottom line is it's showing you very clearly that the people who have three shots in their body have almost a three times risk of getting COVID-19. And even then you argue, oh, well, no, it reduces their risk of going to the hospital. Not really, because over here you can see all the way up to 49 years old, the risk of dying after having this versus not vaccinated in three shots is a 0.1% difference or rather 0.1 out of 100,000. That's inconsequential, not statistically significant, meaning the chance of you dying after getting COVID is basically the same, whether or not you've got three shots or none. Then you can swing back over here and realize that getting that sickness that could cause that is three times or four times more likely in some cases in every cage category if you've got these shots in your body. That is directly from the UK Health Security Agency before they started hiding this data from you. And it was like that for months before they hid it from you. It's impossible to miss. 4,000 per 100,000, 4,324 per 100,000 compared to 1,085 per 100,000. There's no misunderstanding that. That's why they wanted to hide it from you. So the point is that ultimately, as they're yelling at you about this thing working, that they're working in general. The point is that there's more people getting sick, which is causing the more stroke, which is causing everything they're talking about. This data shows you the challenging of that narrative in general. Now they're coming out and admitting essentially that these things are not having the effect on immunity, right? So the, the breakthrough case, they want you to think as an isolated, small, it's, it's not. It is the predominant point of what's happening today. If you have that much transmission happening, four times the risk of not even having any injections. That's clear that the breakthrough cases are the predominant vehicle by which this is continuing to transmit, if this is accurate at all. So the bottom line is then if we're talking about breakthrough cases and whether or not the breakthrough case can hinder your ability to make immunity, that means that most everybody that has an injection in their body has potentially less chance of gaining immunity than someone that just didn't get sick or someone that just, well, actually, that's actually a fair point, but I was going to say somebody who gets it naturally. But don't forget that both Nature, Science Mag, and plenty of other peer-reviewed, highly regarded scientific journals 
And their studies they've printed have shown you that most people, that was one of the main studies, a majority of adults have pre-existing immunity, T-cell, memory B, before this ever started. They only stumbled into that doing their research. And it turns out, look at the control. The control has immunity. How did that happen? And they dove in and turns out from the common cold, from SARS, whatever else, or maybe because it was circulating before they told you about it. There's a lot of possibilities. But the bottom line is, if most of Americans, most adults anyway, had pre-existing antibodies before this ever started, what are we even talking about? It's amazing the peer-reviewed science that gets ignored because it doesn't align with the narrative. So jumping into the point here is that the, what they're admitting to you. So, so I think I focused on Moderna first there. So let's go to this one first. Or wait, this one first. That's kind of the point I was just making in the beginning. The other one is more about their admission in their financial documents about what this thing is incapable of doing. But from the Moderna perspective, both mRNA injections, by the way, mod RNA, which is what they're really called, Moderna knew vaccinated people will never acquire proper immunity after breakthrough infections, according to this substack. But here's the actual study that we'll look at next as well. So what it says is, ever wondered why some vaccinated people seem to ha be having endless COVIDs? <laughs> if you frame it like that, which, by the way, again, you talk to pretty much anybody these days after two plus years. I seem to know pretty much nobody who didn't get it, who didn't end up getting, who, who basically got no injections and that then... Most people I know that didn't get any injections didn't get sick. Most people I know that got any of them seem to continually be getting sick right now, and they just blame it on other things. Interesting. That's just my personal perspective. I can't say that translates to everywhere. But an interesting study came out. It says the study looked at two sides of the Moderna Phase three vaccine trial, the vaccinated group and the control group. They looked at unvaccinated people. Now, as always, guys, the huge caveat here, what does it mean to be vaccinated and unvaccinated? Well, we already know that. In every context that I can show you right now, they're playing the game, and I'll just make this point next, about anybody who's got three shots and less than 14 days is still considered unvaccinated in many categories. Now, some of them, a little bit more honest, have the uh, partially vaccinated category. But then as I showed you, as we'll get to again, even on the Ontario site, it says unvaccinated cases and partially vaccinated. But what you notice is when you click on unvaccinated, it says not fully vaccinated. So it does include people that have two shots, three shots. So they're lying to you. They're making it look like they're doing three different things, but really these two end up being breaking down of the same point. It's a manipulation of the data. So here we have to ask that question. That's a huge caveat always. Are they actually unvaccinated versus anybody with any shots, which is what an honest study would do, right? If you've had one shot, you're, you're considered at least, well, I mean, vaccinated, let's be real. Just because they want to claim fully versus partially. You, you have vaccines, your body, you're vaccinated. To what degree? That's another conversation. Unvaccinated means none. Vaccinated means vaccines. So that's the only honest way you'd look at that. So take bear that in mind with how they manipulate these things. But it says they look at the unvaccinated people having COVID versus vaccinated people having so-called breakthrough COVID infections. The question they asked is, do the vaccinated acquire the same full spectrum immunity as the unvaccinated? Meaning, first of all, that it, this study which they should because it's been proven a thousand times over by the peer-reviewed studies that is, a, is taking at face value that people that are getting natural, getting sick naturally do have superior high-quality full-spectrum immunity because that is clear. Regardless of the childish equivocations from the CDC and the FDA, the point is there's been more studies 
from all from pretty much every high level scientific journal that I've seen in any other topic, peer reviewed, sound, absolute studies that say durable, lasting, high quality, memory B, T cell, anybody. I mean, it's just crazy how this keeps getting dismissed. I mean, even the motherboard calling it a conspiracy theory, like the very idea of natural immunity. This is how crazy this stuff gets. So just realize that. Skip right over the media calling it fake news to where it's just established fact in the studies. Don't you love that? But the point is comparing that to whether you get the same thing if you have an injection first. Which, by the way, don't forget, the injection in and of itself is supposed to cause immunity. That ship has sailed, but we're still pretending that in the circles of the mainstream media. Here they are going, well, let's see if it even comes close. (laughs) Don't you love that? The answer was no. Shocking. Vaccinated people were much, much less likely to develop broad natural immunity compared to unvaccinated people. Isn't that interesting? Now, you can read the rest of this for yourself. He kind of breaks down the study itself, but here's a study. Uh, You guys can read it for yourself. Conclusions. As a marker of recent infection, anti-antibodies may have lower sensitivity in mRNA-1273 vaccinated persons who become infected. It's pretty clear. Vaccination status should be considered when interpreting seroprevalence and seropositivity data based solely on anti-antibody testing. If you have been, if you're infected and you have previously vaccinated, it says that your antibodies are lower. Now, please don't forget Mr. Bauer or Hauer. Maybe it was Bauer. Dang it. What was his name? Um, let's see. Shoot. Now I thought that would come up. Anybody remember the guy's name? <laughs> it was the guy that we, we spoke about plenty of times where he was speaking. Let's see. That one? Let's see. Maybe this is it? No, nope, of course not. Any case, well, that's my fault for not grabbing it ahead of time. Let me see if I can do one more thing. So we had the guy that was speaking about the antibodies from the Pfizer perspective and saying that you had lower antibodies after taking the shot. We play this many times. It gets dismissed as fake news. And now they're admitting it openly in more studies. I don't know if you guys can see this. There's so much stuff saved here. Oh, well, I'm going to skip through because I didn't want to wait. You guys wait as I search, as I always do. Here's Red Cross. Maybe it's in there. Oh, well. Shoot, that's too bad. Um, one last look. Oh, there it is. Got him. <laughs> Busted. Okay, so here is Mr. Bauer. It was Bauer. I thought I spelled that right. So here's the guy. And this, this is what's so interesting about this part of it. Let me close this stuff. So this guy was talking about this all the way back then. This was, I forget when this, June 4th, 2021. Let me just play it for you first. So the key message from our finding is that we found that recipients of the Pfizer vaccine, those who've had two doses, have about five to six fold lower amounts of neutralizing antibodies. Now, the- now it goes on to explain, it makes it very clear. The point is the same thing. We're talking about Moderna. This is Pfizer. So shocking. Both of them seem to lower your antibody response. That's not, I know, understand that's not, that is them. That is this thing essentially breaking your immune system, 
right? Let's forget, don't forget that's not the injection not working, that's your body not working. The injection just triggers a response. Your body starts and then fails that. And this is this is beginning to become a cycle where now you seemingly can't produce it without the injection to keep it going. That's plenty of arguments out there today. Now, regardless of where you stand on that, here's a guy telling you as he studies it that the people with this Pfizer injection have lower amounts of antibodies than people with natural immunity. It's pretty damn obvious. And now we're staring at a study that says exactly the same thing in regard to Moderna, but in regard to a breakthrough infection. So let's say if, if you have the injection first, then you get sick, you're, you're, you have a lower response in general than if you had never gotten it in at all. Now, what they'll try to argue here is, well, it's, it lowers your hospitalization, your death. So it's, it's, it's like an exchange, I guess, even though they would call this fake news until, as much as they could. But that's still not true because the reality of the data shows you that the majority of people in the hospital the majority of people in their dying are people that are injected. That's that's simple reality. It's right in front of you in the, da the data that they no longer want to show you, as well as here's Ontario showing you that 75% of people in the ICU are people with injections in their body. That's not hospital. That's ICU. That's emergency room. Critical. So how do you explain that? It wouldn't be the majority of people that are critically in the hospital just because they also have an injection. That would imply that the injection's not working. There's just no way around that. Their argument would make sense if it was people that are just kind of, you know, maybe in the hospital but not too sick, and most of them are just cases, and all the deaths and real hospitalizations are all the unvaccinated. That's what they would want to make it look like it's actually making sense. This is just completely contradictory. But now it's coming out. But that's why they're pointing elsewhere. They're not making this clear. So Moderna is admitting that if you have the injection and then get sick, your response is less than if you didn't. So why would you take it? Especially knowing all the negative things that can happen on top of that. Myocarditis, blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, and just anything else. Spells palsy, all these things we keep seeing. Or unfortunately, somebody like Mary, you know, uh, um, shoot, Daguerre, the child that's in the wheelchair, right? The one they, they wrote down, she had a stomach ache. And still in the wheelchair to this day. That's not a joke, by the way. The hospital wrote down a stomach ache, and she went in front of Congress with a feeding tube in her nose in a wheelchair, telling them that this is what's happened to her since she took the shots. Right? That's, that's real-world stuff. And they lied about it. Now, this is BioNTech, the one that worked with Pfizer. Biotech says it's in its annual report to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that the efficacy of its current mRNA vaccine may not be sufficient for permanent regulatory approval. Now, I'll tell you right out of the gate, a lot of these security exchange or even a lot of these documents tend to be all encompassing. I don't believe that ex excuses what it says here, but I will point out that a lot of times they can write in hypotheticals. You know, like this could come to pass and this would cause this, even if it's a fringe ex expectation. But they do not include it if it's not something that is viable or possible. Let that be clear. And you can hear that. For, anybody would have said that until now in the context of a political discussion around this thing. You know, before we got here, they would have been. Yeah, of course. They, it's, but it, it, like just, just like plenty of examples we made in the past in these same documents. Doesn't mean it's an absolute, but it means they considered it an, a valid enough concern to include it in the risk factors that they present to the SEC. So here's what the actual document says. This is December 31st. Well, it was just recently done, but it's about the, you know, the, the end of the year for 2021. So it's about 2021. There's a couple of examples in here. Here's the one they just pointed out there. It says, we may not be able to demonstrate sufficient efficacy or safety of our COVID-19 vaccine and or variant-specific formulations, which are different things, 
to obtain permanent regulatory approval in the United States, the United Kingdom, the European Union, or other countries where it may have been authorized for emergency use or granted conditional marketing approval. That's under risk factors. It just says our business is subject to various risk factors, including those described below. Okay, so it's hypothetical, but in no way is this something that should be dismissed as, you know, just a random thing. Because then why wouldn't they include the, the, you know, a comet hitting the planet? Or, you know, you could go really abstract with it. The things they include in here are some, it's not 100%. Maybe it's a small percentage, but it's possible. And if they're listing that they may not be able to demonstrate, that means that's a real world potential. They are arguing that one of the risks is that we aren't sure whether or not we're going to be able to prove this is safe and effective. Think about how crazy that is. At a time when for two years, they've been screaming down your throat, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe. It's right in front of you. We don't even know yet. That's what that means. Not entirely. And then it goes on to say significant adverse events may occur during our clinical trials or even after receiving regulatory approval, which could delay or terminate clinical trials, delay or prevent regulatory approval or market acceptance of any of our product candidates, meaning that they are aware of the adverse events that are happening and it could be a potential problem. Then it says down here, we may be unsuccessful in adapting our COVID-19 vaccine or developing future versions of our COVID vaccine to to protect against variants of SARS-CoV-2 virus. And even if we are successful, a market for vaccines against these variants may may not develop. Meaning they're very aware of the American population and the world is pretty much done with this. And if they're aware, what they're saying there is even if we make this properly, people may not want it. Just realize how interesting that is because that is a glimpse into the reality of the majority out there and they see it. Our vaccine may not be as effective in protecting against existing and future variant strains. Yeah, obviously. And the SARS-CoV-2 virus as it is against the ancestral virus. Exactly. There it's saying it right there. And that's the point because they claim they made this off the genetic code that was sent from China which, by the way, is provable that they didn't have it isolated in that moment they did it. I still don't think they have, but it's verifiable that they did not have it when that happened. The first thing they got was genetic code. They pumped it out and everyone started their race. Then, and that's when the guy says on the record that we did not isolate this. And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. Right. Undeniable. And then I, I could go into the part and show you that they broke this down. Here, let me do this so this looks bigger for you. But the ancestral, that's the other point, right? So if, if it's using something original, and this is code for all who knows what it really was, guarantees that it's not what whatever is dealing with right now, right? Something else is going on and they're just, it's hurting people. Again, because of what they have admitted, they know about this from the past. Which is the which? Which one did I not play last time? Let's see. Right there. This I don't think I played this one. They're trying to train the body's immune system to target the right part of the virus, because getting it wrong can be dangerous. We know that historically, with coronaviruses, that if you do vaccinate with the wrong kind of vaccine for instance, in domestic cats who have a similar viral infection, that you can make the disease more severe. Right. It's as simple as that. Fauci said it. Dr. Cole admits it. I mean, it's very clear. 
So why does, I mean, that's where we are. They're saying it. We're dealing with something else. We're still giving it to them. We're making a new one because it's not working. And yet nobody seems to care. The Fauci said, Dr. Cole said it, this doctor, everyone's aware that if you give them the thing based on an earlier thing that's not being made anymore, then it's going to hurt people. But who cares? Fake news, dangerous conspiracy theory, misinformation, whatever. It is also possible that we may expend significant resources adapting our COVID-19 vaccine to protect against variants of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but that a market for this adapted vaccine does not develop or demand does not align with our projections or cost expenditures, right? This is one of the ways they get the government to step in and go, don't worry, we'll, 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 take, we'll pay for it regardless, which is what they do. And, then, and we'll give you immunity from the prosecution. And okay. It's just, you know, the point is that they won't make it if we don't do that. Who, so, okay, so if the P, if they're arguing that people don't want it, that's why they're talking about not making it. The point is that you're pushing the market. If the people aren't buying this unless you force it to be made so you can then rationalize why it has to be taken, what's happening, right? So if it was just made and offered, I argue nobody would be taking it, at least not like it is right now. Be op- they, the market would stop. There wouldn't be a demand for it. They'd stop making it. Moreover, it says even if we are successful in developing an adapted vaccine, which is the, my point, it's not, they're making something new right now. And there is a market for this new vaccine. That's the point, new vaccine. In the future, they may, there may be a new strain of the virus and our adapted vaccine may not be as effective in producing back. This is what I've been seeing the whole time. From step to step, we're seeing the new variant according to what they're saying. And every time they, okay, it changes the whole story. So right now they're focusing on making something for the Omicron variant, which is a couple of stages ago, acting like once that comes out, it's going to be relevant. No, because they're not working on that specifically. They're desperately trying to make the universal one. Applies to flu, applies to coronavirus, which is what the whole point was before this ever started. I've shown you many articles on that. So if they do make an Omicron thing and pump that up first, why would we jump into that knowing that three seconds later, it's not going to be applicable? They're saying that. You read more of this. I just picked out some of the most important ones. It is possible that subsequent data from these clinical trials may not be as favorable as the data we submitted to the authorities to support our application. Oh, gee, you mean the when you finally you actually flesh it out, it turns out to just not be the 30-second flash-in-the-pan study you screamed 100% about? Yeah, we already got that point. And it says, and, and uh, authorities to support our emergency authorization. And says, or that concerns with the safety of our COVID vaccine will arise from the widespread use of our COVID vaccine outside of clinical trials. Yeah, that's not hypothetical at all. That's literally real world and currently happening. I think that was it. Pretty crazy, guys. I mean, this stuff's on the face. It's happening right now. They know it. He says it. I mean, all the evidence is there. It's just incredible. It's just like any other situation. We're at a very highly propagandized moment that I don't think everyone buys it. I think we need to recognize that most everybody sees through this and just start talking to each other. Recognize that you're the majority and so we can stand up and do something about this. Now, getting into other misinformation topics, I wanted to breeze through a couple more things that I think are really interesting. We just kind of talked about this the other day. CDC comes out with their new study, and we'll break through that in a minute again. 87% of child hospitalized children hospitalized during U.S. Omicron surge were unvaccinated. Well, remember, I showed you this already. That was not even remotely the truth, because what it says right here, analyses based on vaccination status are biased toward the null because partially vaccinated children were grouped with unvaccinated children. So what that means is you basically broke down a tiny category of people that were basically every single person other than those that have, how's it work out? So there's an unvaccinated category. 
Then you have people that have one shot that are in that category, still unvaccinated. You have people with kids with two shots that are in the unvaccinated category. You have kids with three shots right up until 14 days, in some places, 21 days. And that's still unvaccinated. You see, because there's only two categories. Partial, it says partially were grouped with unvaccinated. So the unvaccinated were everybody up until three and 14 days. And then un, and then vaccinated were only people past that category. But then don't forget, there's a three to four month period where after that, they're calling them unvaccinated again. So you have a very small window where these people, and so this is just an easy way to b- bastardize all the data, to lean it, break it any way you want. Bottom line is people with one, two, and three shots in their body are struggling and they're blaming it on unvaccinated. Or at the very least, you can frame it. That's my, my framing. Bottom line is there are people in the unvaccinated category that are very clearly vaccinated. And people that are in two, three shots forward that are having heart attacks, all kinds of stuff. They're in the hospital. That's the numbers we're seeing. But even here, they're still playing the same game. Back with the UK data. They're only showing you three versus one. They're hiding the real data. And understand that everything in the grouping that is up to 14 days of the first shot is dumped back in unvaccinated, even here, even in Scotland. And so I, I put this tweet out for you want the one-stop shop here. Says they now claim that 87% of kids hospitalized during the Omicron were unvaccinated. The CDC study shows they lumped together partially vaccinated with unvaxxed. Anyone, anyone in the child category with less than three shots in 14 days after is now considered unvaxxed in this. How could you possibly pretend that's honest? This is a scam. This is blatant misrepresentation. And then the other point of it was the, the number four reason this is subject to limitation. Primary reason for admission was not always clear. Exactly. That's exactly what this study found and exactly what the one after that found. That child hospitalization numbers are grossly inflated because, and this down here says at least 40%, almost by half, because kids go in with a broken leg, they give a PCR test that says they're sick, they're not sick, they walk out totally fine, and that goes down as a hospitalized for COVID for just in case. Right? We love the just in case on this side of it, but of course, when we're worried about Bayer's, we go, no, 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 don't even look at it because we don't know for sure. That's called hypocrisy. That's blatant screaming hypocrisy. Sort of like a PCR cycle threshold of 45 before and then after the vaccine using 25, which is a guarantee to make sure you find far more before the vaccine and find far less after it. Meaning that you get the cases where you want to see them, guys. It's an obvious game. That I, don't, I argue not everyone's aware of that, but it's definitely happening. So if you don't know why they're there, which means it could be there for any reason, and you're lumping in the almost 80% of the category into the unvaccinated group just because of your breakdown of the illusion, you're clearly lying to people about this number. Bottom line, what is it? What is the actual percentage? Probably dramatically, dramatically lower than that. Not probably, a guarantee. Is it 50%? Is it 20%? Is it 2%? Who knows? Because they're hiding it from you. Now here's Ontario, the point I just made. This point was what I just referenced before. How can you have over 75% of people in the emergency room at any given moment in Ontario being vaccinated and not recognize what's happening? Not just the hospital, but the emergency room. So we're not talking about people going in with a small thing like we just said, or even a broken leg. I don't think you go to the emergency room necessarily with a broken leg, but let's just say you go in with a sprained ankle and get tested. Same thing happens. That's a COVID hospitalization because we're just talking about being at hospital. But see, emergency room, being in critical condition in the ICU, that's not just going in like that. That's people that go in because they're deathly sick. They can't breathe. They're put on ventilator. That is predominantly people that are vaccinated. There's no misunderstanding that. 
And then again, again, my point is this is just general numbers. So the majority based on the bulk of numbers in Ontario are people that are vaccinated. Then you can go back to the UK and make the same point, but it's not just it's per 100,000. So if, if both of them are showing you that the majority of people that are struggling are people that are injected, I don't know what they're trying to say. The majority of numbers in general in the ICU, vaccinated. The majority of people per 100,000 risk of getting sick, fully vaccinated. But we're all lying. Now, the point was this again. Thank you for whoever pointed this out. I forget their name off the top of my head. But you can see fully vaccinated cases, fully vaccinated cases. What it says is the number of cases where symptoms started 14 days or more after receiving two doses. They still say two doses right here, even though I'm pretty sure they've shifted to three. But take the same point, same way. Go back to the time when it was just two. They're still playing the game with the numbers. Okay, so that's anybody. So right there, if you have one dose, you're still you're not fully vaccinated. That makes sense. But then you go to partially, which also does make sense. Partially vaccinated. Okay, number of cases where symptoms started 14 days or more after receiving the first dose of a two-dose series or between zero and 14 days if the second dose. So even after your full, this is the point when, it, when two doses were full vaccinated, you could have two doses and 13 days and you're still considered partially vaccinated. Even though you've got all the doses in your body. That's a game they're playing. And I'll show you why next if you forgot. But before we get there, how will you, so this is partially, then you look at unvaccinated. Now there's even 27 numbers in there. Unvaccinated is pretty clear. It means none, zero, not. But when they conflate the two, especially when there isn't this list in the middle, it's obvious they're dumping in the numbers of partially into unvaccinated. They've admitting that. I'll show you next in Alberta. But then you actually look at the definition of even unvaccinated. And it just says not fully. Are you are we pretending that they just oops made a mistake for two years straight? This is a conscious choice to conflate this information. Number of cases where people did not have any. That would be the only valid point to say someone was unvaccinated. Symptoms started after receiving first dose. Okay, wouldn't one dose be considered partially vaccinated? I mean, that look, that's the lowest number. That, that's a, They're playing a game here. They're lying to you. And it goes on to say symptoms started between zero and 14 days after the first dose. Symptoms started zero and 14 days after the second dose. So you can have two doses, which would be considered fully vaccinated at this time, and 13 days, and they're claiming you're in the unvaccinated category? even though it's the same thing it says impartially. Either they're the stupidest people alive or they're gaming the system. Maybe both. In any case, how is this existing in a obvious common sense reality that vaccines are helping everybody and we're all conspiracy theorists? There's just no acknowledging this without seeing that there's something amiss, guys. Now, here is an article from 21st Century Wire discussing, um, what was his name again? Uh, Thomas Renz. We reference him. He's the, he's the uh, was it the mortician? Let me just read through it. I forget. He worked in, in funeral homes. That's what it was, funeral homes. And he, and he was the one that came out in front of Congress and made this clear. He's never seen it like this. Now, you don't have to take his word for it because I think the same thing in, in, in the data that we've already been showing you. Here's what he says. Over 50,000 Americans, 65 and over, died within two weeks of the injection. And you know why that matters? Because that's 21 days. And I'm going to come back to this, but remember, we already showed you this. Here's the Alberta data that they deleted. They accidentally pumped it out and then they deleted it. Here's the current version. Here's the Wayback Machine. What this shows you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, whether it's cases, hospitalizations, or deaths, is that the dramatic majority after shot one, and going forward, by the way, but this is just focused on shot one right now, 
up to 21 days is the vast majority of all the cases, all the hospitalizations, and all the deaths. So if you die within 20 days of the first shot, that's considered unvaccinated. And right now, if you in most places, if you die within 14 days of the third shot, you're still being categorized as unvaccinated. Think about how grossly dishonest that is. And so his point is over 50,000 Americans that they're calling unvaccinated deaths and then the media bleats at you about how unvaccinated are filling the hospitals are people who have died after being injected. There's so much of this going on and it's just incredibly dishonest. I mean, look, you could even argue that the the situation is exactly what you think it is and that vaccines are helping people and then blah, blah, blah. But you still have to acknowledge this is happening. My point is that if you realize the data, it would show you that that challenge is what you think is happening. But the regardless, regardless, this is impossible to miss. The biggest cover-up of medical history continues. As he says, they say, well, we don't count anyone as vaccinated until 14 days after full vaccination. Now, my point is I'll show, in, Ontario, in Alberta and plenty of places, they move that to 21 days, and I showed you why. But 14, 21, same point. So that means until 14 days after your second dose, now three doses in the United States, by the way, it's not counted. They've admitted that. Well, they did that because they know that most reactions occur within 14 days of either of your first or second dose. It's true, guys. There's just no ignoring that. You could argue there's more to the story, but there is no missing what it's showing you. And there's no missing why they deleted this from their page. It's gone. Just like the UK, they're hiding the data that they don't want you to see. So again, for those in the podcast, it looks right about 40 days is when it starts to really drop off. But I would argue that it looks about 70, 80% of the full picture here of all the cases that happen after the first shot happen within 21 days. Hospitalizations, it's even more. 85%. Deaths. Saying about the same thing. So any in any given moment, we're talking about 80 so percent of all of the hospitalizations, cases, and deaths that happen after that first dose happen within the first 21 days. Crazy. So this is a game. They're hiding the real picture. But also don't miss that it happens on the other ones too. It happens on the second dose that gets kicked back into one. And after the third dose, it gets kicked back into two. And then when you realize from a broad scale, when people like the CDC are just dumping all of the what they say are partially into unvaccinated, well, that all becomes unvaccinated. You see how gross that is? How obvious the, de- the, se- the deception is? Okay, now here is Scotland before they hid all their data. Or actually, I think it still says this in there. This is Scotland and their discussion. Scotland, remember, is within the UK Health Security Agency, but Scotland has got its own agency. As the unvaccinated list, it says that it's a person that has been tested positive less than or equal to 21 days after their first dose. See, right there, it's very clear that one dose and 21 days, you're still considered unvaccinated. And that's the point. So 21 days is where most of this happens and all that gets dumped back into people they're blaming on unvaccinated. Then it says dose one. Note that it doesn't say partially vaccinated. My point is they still dump all this back into unvaccinated, just like the CDC right here is admitting. Partially vaccinated were grouped with unvaccinated. They're doing that everywhere. Most of them don't even list it, by the way. They just take that as face value. But dose one is the same thing. Tested positive for COVID PCR more than 21 days after their first dose. Some of them use 14. Scotland and UK are using 21 days now because I think they realize that that includes most of the problem. Then it says, finally, two dose, same thing, more than 14 days. After the two dose, why would that change? I don't know. Then it says right here, 
COVID-19-related acute hospitalization admissions have been identified as the following. An individual that has tested positive for COVID by PCR up to 14 days prior to hospital admission. What? So now you're telling me that somebody can test positive before, or I mean, the point is this is all subjective, or on, or this is the most important part, on the day of. Here, let me get this. So somebody goes in the hospital, and while they're there, test positive for COVID, that gets called a hot COVID hospitalization. How does that make sense? Or somebody that's in between hospital admission and discharge. So you're about to be let go and you get tested positive, and that goes down as a COVID hospitalization. This is a gross misrepresentation. Now, you could argue that would make sense if you're just trying to be safe about it, right? We're going above and beyond to just overscoop anything just to be safe. Well, fine, go ahead and do that. But that means you have to be honest about the fact that these numbers are not accurate and you can't arrest people or force people to do things based on numbers you know are inflated. But they are, and they don't care. Here, Damn it. Oh, that drives me. Sorry, guys. Hold on. Damn it. That's really frustrating. I had a... It doesn't matter. This It took this away. Let me find this really quickly. Pregnancy. I think this was the one. Shoot. That's frustrating. Um, or maybe I, hold on. I apologize. No, that's down there. Dang it. There, well, there was definitely something I was going to show you in there and I lost the spot. I'm not sure how that happened. Oh, well, I'll skip past it. Ah, that's frustrating. I know these were good points. That's why it's bothering me because I had it all lined up and I don't know why those got refreshed. Yeah, but I, if I keep looking, I'll just, okay. So going forward, oh, that's, it was the same thing. Okay, but I don't, I don't know how I found it last time. I tried to do the same thing and it didn't pop up. Oh, well, that's what it was. Hey, don't take my word for it. Look into it for yourself. It was more of the same thing showing you this on the UK report. Just simply saying anything over, you know, under 21 days gets dumped back into unvaccinated. It was saying the same thing. So look into it for yourself. Same report. This last part, as it says, Please note that vaccine effectiveness data will be updated in this report as it becomes available. Last updated report was April 13th. Oh, weird. It's April 26th. Note how they haven't done that, though, (laughs) right? So note that it it will be updated as we get more information. So why don't you have the information? You You had it then. You had it every week following that up until the fact that you hid it from us and stated you hid it because people were too dumb to understand it, paraphrasing. And now they kind of just pretend like, well, wait till it gets available. What do you mean available? You have the data. You're hiding it from us because you don't want us to see it. And that's what they put in there now, acting like we'll just get back to you when we can. <laughs> God, they treat us like children. It's just obvious. Make sure. That, yeah, that is right there. Okay. I'm not missing something. Okay. So finally, I want to make this point about they're coming out now screaming about mixing. Here's one of the new studies. Mixing with unvaccinated increases COVID risk. Okay. Now, how would that possibly make sense? For everybody, they're saying. For unvaccinated, vaccinated. The bottom line is the study they're claiming is about that that if we allow unvaccinated to circulate, it's bad for everybody. This directly challenges all the data we have right now. 
Like if you're seeing beyond a doubt that this is predominantly being transmitted by people with injections, that argument is blatantly incorrect. But I'll show you why. Okay. First of all, in this study, you will not find anywhere in here. Now I argue that you might find it here jumping ahead under the metrics category where it says no statistics are available. (laughs) That's probably why. But nowhere in here will you find what their definition of unvaccinated and vaccinated is, are. Now, doesn't that seem relevant? If you're testing this and you're testing unvaccinated versus vaccinated, is unvaccinated including people with one shot? Is vaccinated including people with two shots? It doesn't explain. That seems like the most important thing to make clear. And I think it's almost like the silence is deafening kind of moment here that they don't make that clear. But going forward, knowing that huge, glaring red flag caveat, let's read what it says. We constructed a simple, susceptible, infectious, recovered, compartmental model of a respiratory infectious disease with two connected subpopulations. People who were vaccinated, people who were unvaccinated. From that model, we simulated, okay, I'm already going, okay, why am I wasting my time on this, guys? This is the kind of garbage that they pump out, which is valid in plenty of circumstances, but modeling studies, simulations. These are the lowest level of evidence, observational evidence. I mean, and then this is the lowest level. Random controlled trials, which say the opposite of what this is putting forward, are the highest level. So you can look at this, but you should go, okay, well, let's compare it with all the peer-reviewed science, this random controlled trials that say the exact opposite and go, okay, well, something's amiss here. I mean, it's pretty, they're, they're doing a model and they're simulating from that model the patterns of what's happening. This is not real world. So it's, it's subject to the input of what their data is. So if they're taking at face value, what vaccinated means, what unvaccinated means, if they're taking at face value, let's say the CDC data of these things, and then pumping that into their model, well, you're going to get bad data out. You pump in bad data and start, you're going to get bad data out. That's why these things are just guidelines. They're not what you should be punting forward as here's the reality of what happens, which is what they're doing. In the results, it says, we found that the risk of infection was markedly higher among unvaccinated people than among vaccinated people under all mixing assumptions. <laughs> Why does this mean anything to anybody? On top of that, I just, the glaring absence of what these things mean is everything. Down here it says, with a fraction of vaccinated people as defined by vaccine effectiveness, and there's your only clue. What do they reference for vaccine effectiveness? The UK Health Security Agency. And there it is. I mean, it's very obvious, guys. They're t- they're pulling from the very data that we're pointing at, which, by the way, damn it, is why I had this up for why it showed you the information, but I couldn't find it. Go through, look for yourself. Just It's the same anywhere you look. It says the same thing in the UK data, that it's 14, 21 days, same thing. So they're using that data to make their argument. So when they just quietly reference the as defined by this thing, they're telling you that we're combining people that have injections in the unvaccinated category. It's as simple as that. So this is a garbage study using garbage data. And then from that modeling and assuming going forward, that's my opinion. But if they're combining those things, it's, it's completely, what's the right word for it? Not garbage. I mean, it's, it's completely subjective and manipulated and un, I mean, even worse than that. I mean, I do find it to be garbage. If you're combining those things, you're being dishonest. It says, for example, a vaccine that is 80% efficacious would result in 80% of vaccine and people becoming immune. That's the kind of assumption they're making in this study. Not only does that contradict the current real world discussions they're having, this one's simply saying right there, telling you that's not true. In fact, it hinders your production of an immunity. 
And by the way, all the other ones, all the studies we point at show you that the real world studies show you natural immunity is exponentially better, which is what the opposite of what they say here. But my point is 80% efficacy, which by the way, if this wasn't any, a, a, a even remotely honest or intelligent researcher would know that's relative risk reduction as they've admitted too many times. So it's not 80%. It's in reality about 0.8% because all it really show, actually, let me see if I can show that again real quick. I bet you I've got it right here. Yep, there it is. Watch this, guys, because this is what it actually is discussing. So this person either knows that it's lying to you or is hiding that from you. Did that just refresh? That's strange. I've never seen that happen on a study. Oh, never mind. I'm there. That's why. Okay. So, oh, that's what I did. That's right. It's right here. I'm going to lose myself. Okay. So this, this clip is talking about the difference between relative risk reduction and absolute risk reduction. And the fact that they lied and conflated these things when Fauci even acted like it was an oops mistake. Remember? He didn't make a mistake. It's one of the most obvious choices to deceive people. And that's what this even says. This is coming directly from from, from uh, Canada. What they're telling you, though, is that that's an easy way to deceive. And that the number is the difference between what the person normally gets and what the injection gives, not the general immunity or the general efficacy of an average person against the virus. That's not what it's talking about. So when they say this and just take it face value, that if 80%, if they claim, first of all, claim that it's 80% efficacious, that therefore means 80% of vaccine people are immune. We all know everybody that's not true, but they take that as an assumption. Just to give you a quick insight to the kind of assumptions this study is making. But before we move past it, watch this. The right to know the potential benefit of any intervention. For example, Pfizer reported that its vaccine shows a 95% efficacy. That sounds like it protects you 95% of the time, right? But that's not actually what that number means. That 95% refers to the relative risk reduction, but it doesn't tell you how much your overall risk is reduced. by. And just for those that don't know, this has been admitted to. Like this has been openly stated by Fauci that, oh, we, we meant this. Like this has been clearly discussed. They're absolutely using relative, not absolute, that's confusing. They're definitely using relative risk reduction when discussing the percentages and not absolute. That's why you can see that montage of the percentages, even using relative risk reduction, continuing to go down and down and down and down. That's actually why this one is so important. Uh, I've shown you many times. that shows you that even right now, or rather even Delta or Omicron, that after one day to 30 days, it goes all the way down to 55% relative risk reduction, which is meaningless. But after three months, it goes down to negative 76 efficacy, which means you have a 76% chance, or and still relative, but increased risk of getting sick. Right? So if, you're, if you think that 55 in the beginning is enough to take it, relative or whatever you think it is, why would a negative 76 after three months be something you would, would be okay with? It's mind-boggling. Well, let, me, let me go back just a touch and keep this going. Refers to the relative risk reduction, but it doesn't tell you how much your overall risk is reduced by vaccination. For that, we need absolute risk reduction. In the Pfizer trial, 8 out of 18,198 people who were given the vaccine 
develop COVID-19. In the unvaccinated placebo group, 162 people got it, which means that even without the vaccine, the risk of contracting COVID-19 was extremely low at 0.88%, right. which the vaccine then reduced to 0.04%. So are you concerned about getting something that has a 0.88% risk? And are you really going to feel good about reducing that by 0.04%? I mean, these are the facts, guys. This is easy to look up. So the net benefit or the absolute risk reduction that you're being offered with a Pfizer vaccine is 0.84%. That 95% number, that refers to the relative difference between 0.88 and 0.04%. That's what they call 95% relative risk reduction. And relative risk reduction is well known to be a misleading number, which is why the FDA recommends using absolute risk reduction instead, which begs the question, how many people would have chosen to take the COVID-19 vaccines had they understood that they offered less than 1% benefit? It's pretty hard to not understand that. Now, I, I mistakenly said 0.04 a moment ago. What they said is 0.88. Fine. 0.88 benefit. I mean, I just don't understand how anybody out there would think that's something that they would go along with, especially with all the negative things that are super rare, but possible, even though we know they're not super rare. But going back to this, that's the kind of thing they're floating. This is their study. We did not model waning immunity. Oh, you mean the thing that's happening to literally everybody getting the injections? Right. So you're lying to yourself about what it translates to. Then you're going, but we ignored how it wanes almost instantaneously. Talk about self, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm blanking on the term. This, they're, they're leaning into what makes this work for the way they want this study to go. This is garbage. Absolute garbage, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, was, that, was that what I showed you already? Oh, again, just in their conclusion, using simple mathematical modeling... <laughs> Yeah, so when you pump in bad information to start, you're going to get bad mathematical results. Simple as that. Oh, that's right. So my point before is uh, there's no statistics, which I argue is where you would see the the definition possibly of the vaccinated, or it should be under like figures and tables, but it's not. I looked all the way through all this. Very strange or obvious, in fact. But going forward, here's an interesting development. Toronto Zoo animals get their COVID vaccines. Now, I wondered about this. I'm like, is this actually what's happening? Or are they just getting other vaccines? Because it doesn't really say. It's music and it's posted and they're sure getting a lot of vaccines. Now, what's interesting to me is the way that this was framed, because this is real. The way that they framed this was not that we're giving them injections to make sure they're safe. They framed it as these ones need the vaccines because they're sick or they've been identified as ones that need them. How do you even make sense of that? It's not a prophylactic. That's what they'll tell you right now. You don't get it to be once you're sick. The point is, in fact, plenty of studies have shown that if you're already sick, that it actually could make it worse. What they keep saying is you want to get it way ahead of time so you don't get sick, right? That's what they're telling you. Well, here's this. This is, this is from Toronto. The Toronto Zoo has identified 120 animals. How exactly? Who will require two doses of COVID vaccine, two or three weeks apart. What does that even mean? So if your argument is they're in danger from getting COVID, which they're telling you all of them are, wouldn't they just all get it? Why are you pinpointing 120 of them? I mean, what's the difference? 
And if they're already sick, that means that it just makes sense, guys. This just seems like a narrative spun up to be like, oh no, animals are getting sick with COVID. And it just opens the door for the zoonotic transfer and more problems and maybe new variants pop up from the animals or, or your dog can now get you sick. Who knows where this goes? But what, you want to explain that to me? Click the link. It's not any more clear. <laughs> Why are these 120 animals? It just, it's very strange to me. But this is the same thing. <laughs> There's another animal getting manipulated into getting an injection, right? Same thing. Right? You're a trained animal. Here's Mark Hamill. Got my second booster. Vaxxed and relaxed. Honestly, not looking too healthy, if I got to be honest. But, you know, whatever. This guy goes, same here. Glad you're staying safe. Good, sir. I just, I, I'm not even trying. Look, I, let's, I could be wrong. Sure, it's always possible. Maybe they're right. I'm wrong. But that's not what I'm taking issue with here. I'm taking issue with the weird way that they're doing this. Why is this important? It's not because you're trying to keep people safe. It's because you want to go look at me. I did the thing that I know I'm supposed to do. Give me a cookie, right? Comment underneath about how what a good person I am. That's what this is, virtue signaling. I just don't look like healthy people to me. I'm just my honest opinion. But this is have this is everywhere. And yes, in my opinion, this is like a trained animal. I forget if I had one second. Let me check these last links here. Don't just jump into something I wasn't going to get to. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, I think what we're going to finish off with here. Let me do this one first. It looks like I didn't have this organized exactly the way I wanted. Do these quickly together. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so what we're going to do next. Talk about the pregnancy point. Just kind of showing you these people are all taking this thing, like Mark Hamill, like anybody else, blindly trusting what they're telling them is the reality, despite the fact that their own documentation continues to challenge that reality, right? Here is a recent report, the most recent from the UK Health Security Agency. Now, I showed you all it says in there that we're not going to give you the data because you're too stupid, paraphrasing. But here's what it says also under main findings. Right now, most current. COVID-19 vaccine coverage in pregnant women at delivery has increased as more women have become eligible for vaccination, reaching 53.7%. For women that are pregnant, having or had one or more doses before their baby was born. This is in line with coverage reported across the UK. As in the previous report, however, coverage increased with decreasing levels of deprivation of women. And blo- I mean, this is just so 53%. While, by the way, before... This changed. This is as of November or September 24, 2021. It still said missing information. This is the same injection we're talking about. Pregnant women or breastfeeding. The safety profile of the vaccine is not known in pregnant women. It's amazing. I can keep pointing this out and they can keep going, well, yay, more, more. So you don't know if it's safe. It says it right there. We don't know because we didn't use them in the trials. And yet we're telling them they have to. You're going to lose your job. We're going to tell you it's safe because it's safe. it'll protect you and your baby. And then more, more, I don't, I don't understand it or immunocompromised that they're telling you to get it first, even though they say right here, we don't know if it's safe for you. It is baffling to me. Or we don't know if it's safe with other vaccines, which by the way, applies to the flu shot that they're giving us simultaneously with it, or it applies to the other injections they're mixing and matching right now mRNA, different adenovirus, it's happening all around the world. And yet it says right there, we have no idea if it's safe for you. We're testing it in you right now. Long-term safety, long-term safety is unknown. Yeah, you just heard that from their Moderna filing for SEC. They don't know. They're sure as hell yelling they know, though, in the media. 
just it just makes me sick. But here's the point. This is the newest one. They've up they finally updated it. February 2022. This is for February. This is 2022. Shocker, it still says the same thing. Pregnancy. The safety profile of the vaccine is not fully known in pregnant or breastfeeding women. Whereas this one says, the safety profile of the vaccine is not known. You know what they did? See what they did there? It's not fully known. They're watering it down. That is straight up criminal, guys. They don't know because they haven't tested on them. And that's the point they're making right there. It is important to do long-term follow-up because we don't know whether this is safe. Same thing, immunocompromised. Safety profile vaccine is not known. Still not known. And they're still telling them to get it first. How about just frail comorbidities, meaning old people? There is limited information, but we're giving it to them first. So explain for me how I can say that, right? Yay, we got more of them, and we don't even know if it's safe. It's just unreal. These these are kind of small points that make you really understand that there is something gross going on here, guys. Now, a couple lasting points to get out of the way here, guys, before we let you go. This is the thing we're fighting against. That Right now, there's a level of people, and I don't believe it's the majority, but there's a level of people that they point at as the majority that are still back on ivermectin as an animal dewormer. Like, really? Like, they're still in that mind today, right now. With everything that's been going around, they just caught one Rachel Maddow clip from six months ago and have just laughed at anybody talking about ivermectin. Oh, you're so dumb because I know, because I trust the right person, right? This is, this is a 23 hours ago post. Informed New Jersey nurses says, ivermectin can be sold over the counter in Tennessee, which for those in Tennessee, that's good news. Cheap, effective drugs should always be available. By the way, notice they're not even saying anything about COVID-19. Ivermectin, before I even read her comment, as I've shown you many times, a multifaceted drug of Nobel Prize honor distinction by itself before COVID with, on top of that, indicated efficacy against COVID-19. And it says right here in in a highly regarded science direct publication, peer-reviewed study, and plenty, there's plenty more of them finding the same thing. But this one's the best because it says a multifaceted drug developed against some of the world's most devastating topical diseases since March 2020. More than 20 random controlled trials, highest level of evidence, have tracked the inpatient outpatient treatments. Six of seven meta-analyses of this treatment. So that gets into larger, not just the random controlled trials, but meta-analysis of these treatments in general. Reporting in 2021 found notable reductions in COVID-19 fatalities with a mean 31% relative risk of mortality versus control. It's relative. During mass ivermectin treatments in Peru, excess death fell by 74% over 30 days. I mean, it goes on and on. Japan, different locations, India, all seeing a real-world dramatic effect. This is a peer-reviewed study finding 20 different random-controlled trials, all finding an obvious effect against COVID-19. Maybe not the best or whatever else, but an effect, and it means you should have the choice. Nowhere is this discussing an animal dewormer, because it's not that, yes, there is a version of this that's used for animals. But ivermectin is also on the list of FDA-approved drugs for all sorts of things. Yes, we're talking about uh, um, uh, uh, parasite versus viral. Right. But the point here is that's what these new studies find, that it also has an obvious antiviral effect. There is plenty of studies that find the same thing. Let's see. Here we 
There it is right there. Here's one of the newest ones. Ivermectin shows antiviral effect against COVID, Japanese study says, right? Sorry, lady, you're wildly incorrect, right? That's what this, that's where we are right now. It's obvious. But here's what she says after this account, without even referencing COVID-19, just says, hey, we can buy it for anything you might need it for. She says, deworming yourself with animal dewormer is just beyond, way beyond crazy, but sure, go ahead, moo. Barbara. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you to go attack this woman. She's woefully misinformed and she's lost. But she's chock full of absolute false certainty. The problem, though, and I said, you might want to actually look at the science instead of trusting what someone tells you the science says. I'm sure you'll bend over backward to explain why this is still wrong. My only point in this case is what you're, discuss- is what you're, that you're discussing is obviously not animal dewormer. Because, of course, my point is they'll find a way to be like, see, it doesn't say antiviral. And it's like, we're not even talking about that. All you said was deworming yourself with animal dewormer. Where'd that come from? Because she watched Rachel Maddow. Because she watched these kind of people that will say that. Things are clearly bad, but they're being made even worse by people who have refused to take the vaccine and instead are swallowing horse paste. The emergency room in one rural Oklahoma town is being overwhelmed by people overdosing on ivermectin. Fake news. And that was legitimately exposed as fake news in real time because the hospital they showed in that picture spoke up and said, uh, that's not for ivermectin, guys, or that's not for gunshot wounds or whatever they were saying. That was for COVID testing. And then they quietly walked away from it. No, did they come back and say, well, our mistake, we were wrong. No, not even remotely. They just let it go because that's what dishonest people do. And this woman bought it hook, line, and sinker. Deworming yourself. My point is this is what we're fighting against in that I, that minority misrepresented as the majority. So how do you reach that person? How do you get them to step away from their preconceived ideas and consider what the study says? Because notice how she didn't respond. And oh, by the way, this person also says, which I thought I responded to, he says, oh, I did. <laughs> That's weird. It didn't show. It went back. It didn't show. Now it shows it. It didn't show it before, of course. Be nice to Barbara. She clearly doesn't know what ivermectin is. Oh, I think I misunderstood him. (laughs) In any case, my point is here, guys, there's a lot of this happening. And we need to recognize that these people, it just, plant the seed. Give them the data. Keep trying. Don't give up on the people. But the problem is we're fighting against an information war, right? Now, this kind of thing, though, is where that information war leads to real-world current, I mean, like, like immediate risk that is really alarming. This is a recent release from April 25th from the FDA. Oh, actually, I should have grabbed this. Well, well, let me grab it real quickly while we're, I'm about to talk about remdesivir. I'm going to start doing that when I search for these things. There it is. If I just type in the title, a lot of times it's easier to search on my website. It takes a while right now, which hopefully is better, by the way. Let me know in comments or in emails whether the site's been better lately. I thought we think we added some updates that might help. That We still don't know why it's happening, but in any case, here's the study. Dr. Aris interviewed death by remdesivir, the illusion linchpin of COVID-19 risk. Here is the point. Today... 25th, the U.S. FDA expanded the approval of COVID-19 treatment, McClurry or remdesivir, to include pediatric patients 28 days of age or older. 28 days. The most, at, the least at risk group. 
right? So right now they're the like fraction of a percent of what's out of the hospitalizations and deaths. You can look at their UK data and their gross misrepresentation where they lie to you about how many people are getting sick, but then notice how they're just non-existent when it comes to death, which means they're manipulating the data as I just showed you with the hospitalization cases. But the point is that these kids are not dying. These kids are not going to the hospital. They have to fly and fudge and break the numbers to be able to sell you on even the low number they already have. Even the Oxford calculator puts it at one in a million for 19-year-olds. And yet they're going to let these kids who go in with a broken leg and are told they have COVID-19, which means they're hospitalized, right? That's how that gets in. And they're going to be using remdesivir on children, 28 days old. It says hospitalized or not hospitalized and have mild to moderate COVID-19 and are high risk. Okay, well, the very definition of being a kid means you're not high risk, period. But it doesn't matter. For progression to severe COVID, which was very, 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 like monumentally rare for them. But mild to moderate means the sniffles and having a COVID-19 test. This is going to lead to kids dying. And I'm not trying to be a alarmist. I'm going to show you next. This action makes remdesivir the first approved COVID-19 treatment for children less than 12 years of age. As a result, but this, they don't even need anything in regard to COVID, guys. This is just straight up danger. As a result of today's approval action, the agency also revoked, guess what, the emergency authorization for remdesivir that previously covered this pediatric population. You know why they did that? Because they have to do that. Because once there's an approval, the emergency authorization is null and void. I've shown you that in their own documentation. So ask yourself why that didn't happen for the injections. Uh-oh, there's an, there's an interesting point, isn't it? Right now, they've got the emergency authorization, and they're square up and down. It's been approved. They haven't released the, the substance. If you actually dig into the story, the new so, so-called emergency approved one's not there. We didn't, we, we're not making it. It's not being put out. We're, we're using up the old one. Yeah, right. They're still giving you emergency authorized substance because they know they're not legally accountable. So why is there emergency authorization still if it's been approved? There's a legal gray area they're pretending like they don't have to address. Right here, they did do it because they know that's the law. I think it's pretty clear, guys. Now, watch this interview if you'd like to hear more. Now, I got to be honest about the whole, I'm very, I mean, I don't understand the, this focus on this very, very wildly subjective and, in my opinion, grossly incorrect snake venom discussion. I'm still following it, just in case I end up being wrong about that, but I don't, I don't, I think there's a lot of grasping, reaching, hypothetical discussions being had that are being presented as fact. But nonetheless, regardless of his, his involvement in that story, I 100% stand behind this interview and everything that's discussed within. I believe that this is a real discussion. Why? Because the facts back it up, regardless of who's discussing it. But I do find his discussion very sound in this article or in this study or in this interview, excuse me. But here's the study we point to in that interview. Right? This is important. This is the main one. How do I go? Uh, here we go. This is the main study. Uh, in regard to Ebola at the time, this was 2019, but using remdesivir, random controlled trial, high level evidence. This is the, the read the whole thing, but this is the most important part that we show there. Now, this is, it's regard, regardless of what, understand that this is, is early treatment as well, right? So it's not necessarily about Ebola versus COVID, which just play a factor, but just simply recognize this is comparison of death, death at 28 days. They gave him ZMAP, remdesivir, uh, MAB114, I think that's some sort of an injection, and then, and then Regeneron and, the, and the different groups and comparisons of those groups, right? 
So just very quickly in the beginning, ZMAP versus Remdesivir. Overall, Remdesivir, right here, it says number of deaths, total percentage. 93 out of 175 people that took Remdesivir died within 28 days. It's as plain as day. That is 53.1%. I don't know how you misunderstand that. You can look over here and the numbers are smaller. The bottom line is, that's what happened. In a 28-day study after people being treated with remdesivir in exactly the kind of situation we're dealing with now. And other studies back up the same results. And yet this is the one that they're approving. Meanwhile, there's ivermectin and plenty of other things that have far, far more obvious and real-world examples of current effects against exactly COVID-19. This is alarming to me, guys. And I think that I'm very concerned about where that goes in regard to children especially with the parents that don't know any better. Now, I'm actually going to go, I'm going to read this one another day because this is a little bit longer than I, I wanted to go through the whole thing. It's a great article. Riley Wagman from Off Guardian, Russia and the AstraZeneca vaccine collusion. Very interesting here where this goes. The bottom line is that there's, I don't want us to forget how Russia, in my opinion, is acutely involved with this manipulation and how it translates into the Great Reset. Now, that doesn't have to mean that all of Ukraine's an illusion or whatever else it could. But at the end of the day, I think it just means there's more. There's always different agendas playing out in right in front of us. And there's larger ones they all seem to kind of go along with. Governments, I mean, but at the end of the day, individuals. But the, the AstraZeneca, it, it, it showed, what the, I think one of the main points I, I really thought was important here was that at the end of the day, they're attacking Russia in every possible way, sanctions, you know, even just average Russians, Russian soccer players, Russian video game players, just getting pushed out and, and you know, blocked and not allowed to play. It's, it's just, it's insulting and it's racist. It's bigotry against just general Russian speakers as then they quibble about how these people on the ground in Ukraine are attacking Russian speakers. I mean, it's just plainly obvious. But the point is, behind all of that, guess what they're not restricting? work on AstraZeneca, work on the vaccines, work on their collaboration on the vaccines. If Russia, bad guy in every way, willing to hurt and sabotage and false flag, but yet you're working quietly on vaccines together, does that show you some kind of an illusion taking place? But read it for yourself. I'm going to watch, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this in a future show. Lastly, just the, the great reset transition, guys, as Seek for Truth points out, digital ID as a foundation for social credit. That's what this all is. And don't forget about the, uh, Digital Services Act, which is going to be the whole point, guys. They're using this to tra- to kind of like ca- uh, uh, catapult themselves into this new realm where they're going to demand that you have to have a digital ID to be able to operate without telling you that you needed that before they set up the infrastructure to force you into it. You're going to be kicked out of society if they don't. If you, and this isn't my opinion. Look at what's happening in China. They are modeling themselves after this. They're using the idea of the vaccine passports and everything else and social credit based on climate change and all these different discussions that they're openly having. We need to do this to save the planet. Maybe, maybe that's even true. I disagree with that. Bottom line is you're no longer given a choice. That's what this is building right now. And somebody points out an interesting thing that I didn't know either. 73 million citizens have had their mobile phones blocked by the government in Nigeria as punishment for failing to register on the National Digital Identity Database. That's where this is all going. It's already starting. That's almost a third of the country, guys. As it says, what's surprising is Nigerians have had digital IDs for the last decade, including biometrics. Kenya as well, it seems. How are we not aware of this? Good point. I don't know. You'd think we would know stuff like this, but this is creeping around the world in ways that we don't see it, and it's now finally coming to you. 
And to finish out, just want you guys to hear yet again what Klaus Schwab says is that is what will happen during the fourth industrial revolution, and then realize that that is what he's saying is right now. This clip is from 2016. It was it was shared by Spiro, and I've I've actually shown you this clip before, but I wanted to play it again on the way out, and I wanted you to think about where he says this is going in 2016. And saying that that will happen during the fourth industrial revolution. And right now he's telling you that we are in the fourth industrial revolution. There's no misunderstanding that. So when you hear him talk about implantables in the brain happening then, he's talking about right now. And then when we talk about that in the context of anything else, we're yelled out conspiracy theorists and so on. So watch this on the way out, guys. Hopefully you got some more. I mean, there's a part now you can see probably at the end about Red Cross that I'm not ready to get into today. I have a whole, I'm setting up a whole section there because you know that we went over this deep in the past and I have the recording and everything because they're not coming back and sort of admitting things that are challenging their narrative, but we'll get into all that in a future show coming your way soon, guys. But to leave you with this clip, just see where they're driving you, right? Recognize where this all seems to be going and it's disconcerting to say the least. All right. I love you all. Thank you for being here today. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Aujourd'hui, au bout de ça, on parle de puces qu'on pourra s'implanter. Ce sera quand ça Certainement dans les dix années à venir. Et d'abord, on va les implanter dans nos vêtements, uh-huh. c'est-à-dire wearables, comme on le dit. Et après, on pourrait s'imaginer qu'on les implante dans nos cerveaux ou dans nos topos. Et à la fin, peut-être il y a une communication directe entre notre cerveau et euh, la, le monde digital. Ce que nous voyons, c'est une sorte de fusion du monde physique, digital et biologique. On appelle quelqu'un, on n'a même plus le réflexe de devoir prendre un appareil, ça se fait naturellement. Hein. La, la, la technique continue le corps. Oui, vous, vous, vous parlez et vous dites, je veux maintenant euh, euh, être connecté avec n'importe qui. Hein Et d'abord, vous avez les robots euh, personnalisés. Et j'ai vu que M. Zuckerberg a, a prédit qu'à la fin de l'année, il va avoir son robot, son butler personnalisé, ouais. qui est à sa disposition. Donc, comme dans Downton Abbey, on aura son, son butler personnel, son serviteur, son esclave Oui, mais, mais il y a une différence. C'est un serviteur qui, avec euh, l'intelligence artificielle, apprend et qui n'est pas seulement euh, votre assistant pour euh, des travaux manuels, qui peut vraiment être un partenaire intellectuel de vous. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact yeah. on your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world, which we had. Um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal, in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. 
um, the, the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces.